Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hi and welcome to Everywhere. I'm your host Daniel Scheffler. The commandment for the week is Thou shalt seek the unexpected. Can you guess what the United Nations deems to be the most visited destination on the planet? And if we asked a handful of strangers on the street right now where they would most like to go, what do you think they'll say? Of course, it's France and it's Paris, for better or for worse. I lived in Paris two incredible yet tragically painful years. I speak French as mother is French-blooded from the south of France, but still I was always but a stranger in Paris. And when I wasn't looking, it was rolling its eyes at me. What that city does so well, so formidably and provocatively well, is lift the chalice of culture above the skies. Of course, it's too high for piffling earthlings to climb to, but also just far enough for everyone to want to stretch out and tingle in its molest. Paris concedes with no allowance for disagreement to be the possessor of all things culture. So if culture is the full spectrum of learned human behavioral patterns, then yes, Paris has given us the official blueprints. Paris is a city that likes to go to sleep a little too late, only to wake up behind time, perhaps indicative of the ever-controversial 35-hour work week and those long lunches enjoyed not only by the blue collars, but by the white and gold ones too. Mornings are spent with pastries in the blur of cigarette smoke, as one of the only cities in the world where smoking is still the avocation of all. The city inspires puffers to toke double time and offers the perfect gift to non-smokers who have to scream fumes from their mouths too. I bestow upon thee a lifelong addiction, c'est un plaisir. The same way that animals have learned behavior, Parisians possess something equally Pavlovian. They have it passed over from generations of over-finessed Paris grandmothers in the 16th and overfed Paris grandfathers in the 13th. If you watch Julie Delpy's film Two Days in New York, you'll get a sliver of what flavored French relatives could be. Because Paris works like this. You hardly eat as the helpings are minuscule. You day drink any wine you can find. And inappropriately sexual behavior will confuse you. And if you can, fit in as much swearing as possible into every conversation. En fait. Parisians will also teach you 
how to keep a watchful eye on all fashion disasters whilst drinking extra scalded bitter coffee. These are just some of the markings of a good Parisian, and it somehow keeps them sane. And speaking of coffee, searching for coffee in a standard everyday Paris cafe is like searching for, I don't know, a giraffe under the Atlantic Ocean. Of course you can attempt this, armed with a wheel of etoki basket cheese to sink you down. But you'll realize it's a total waste of precious Parisian time. Because all they have is time. The French believe that dark roasting, or let's call it what it is, 500 degree brûlé, makes it stronger, and by such implication, tastier. Well, here are some Paris coffee terminology, just to entertain you. A noisette, sounding so wonderfully innocent, is a stomach-lining attack with a Joan of Arc fury. A café crème might thrill you with that fluffy, handsome-sounding name, but what you'll get is extra, extra, one more time with feeling, extra pasteurized milk that will last for a lifetime. Plus a tiny spot of, again, burnt bitter soul coffee. But don't bother with American drip coffee. The open-jawed dismay from your ever-friendly waitress will let you know that even if you do get the desired format, it will be more than disappointing and potentially rigged with some incendiary device. So what makes the French believe that they have the world's greatest coffee? Oh yes, the use of a French press. The worst way in the whole world to make coffee. Unless you enjoy a strong acidity that's thin in flavor and thick in grossness. Of course, the open display for pollution and car fumes to come and sit on the too old for use beans and invariably cheap machines may add to the dismay that you're feeling by now. So where did the great writers and artists get their caffeine rush if Paris cannot deliver a decent roast or bean anyway? Well, maybe at home. Or maybe they got their kicks from opium the annoying, beautiful scenery and architecture, or the almost flawless people-watching everywhere, or quite simply from the most obvious, the free-flowing alcohol. And once night falls, it's in full gush. The city is no longer shared with Voltaire, Hemingway, or even Rousseau. They have finally retired their postulations and cups of wine and decided to rest peacefully somewhere away from the dirty streets and extra, extra small cafe tables. Paris has always stood in this messiness of monarchy, empire, republic, revolutions. Both equally inspiring, the city hosts the snobbiest suburbs on the planet as well as the trashiest ones. The Bohemians have tried to own their city with underground artist squats, and circuses, but the conservatives never let go of their grip on the official Paris representation, thus giving way to the city of dichotomy, beautiful and ugly, in an Umberto Eco sense, where both are needed for the other to exist. So where has this muddle of disorder left our city of love? The right bank is no longer in the opposition with the left bank, the suburbs and the inner city are now the holders of gloves as they belabor and pulverize the visions of a new, greater city. As the throb of Paris romance continues to give the city the highest number of tourists of any destination, a different perspective of love is imminent. The bolted locks I see on the bridges represent an almost desperate attempt to hold on to love's embrace. But Paris feels differently about love. The same way that Paris residents want the locks to be removed, the city wants to feel free again, free from your love, free to find a new love. Well, I found some of that at the Père Lachaise. As the evening wanted to commence, my metro slowly found its way underneath these filthy streets to the tourist cemetery. So famed, so profound, 
that it had become a reason for millions of people all over the world to squash themselves into aeroplanes, tidy themselves onto boats and cars and line themselves up to trains to get to this place. The cemetery of all cemeteries hosts for me the most important musician to ever live. Hence why I brave the tourist masses. But apparently I'm not alone in my love for the great Lizard King. For most fans, the music will never be over. My determined stride through the crowded cemetery is completely forgotten as my sole focus is on finding my gym. Paris was given Jim Morrison whether they wanted him or not, and I, the little Paris virgin, proudly stayed in his ex-hotel in the left bank. That was when I arrived in Paris for the first time, so it may have been a hotel manager's version of tourist trapping. So finding the grave is easy. I just followed the smell of Jack Daniels and cigarettes. Jim is of course waiting for me, as he always will be. The stone on his grave screams at me, Kataton daimona estos. Google Translate tells me, with no questions asked, that it means true to his own spirit. Unsatisfied, I text a Greek friend who says, it's more like according to his own demon. I laugh, my non-Parisian laugh that makes everyone stare at me. And then the sky opens and pees all over me, like Jim would have done. Paris, Paris, you're always according to your own demon. So if you insist and you have to go to Paris, I won't stop you. But perhaps I'd love for you to find the most unexpected things about it. Because that's where the magic lies. When a yuppie French stairmaster in the gym after 20 minutes congratulated me for climbing the Tour Eiffel, I had to pause and think. Why have I always wanted to avoid the actual sight of this iron lattice Paris tower? Could it perhaps be that flurry of baguette-carrying, beret-wearing tourists that swarm around it as if it was the lighthouse of culture? Perhaps yes. The tower held the tallest man-made structure in the world title for 41 years, until the Chrysler building in New York had tumescence and required an easy-to-apply 60 tons of paint every seven years to maintain its shine. So what about all this engineered steel? Vulgar stature and upkeep sweat makes the tower the dernier cri of a city so obsessed with haute culture. Perhaps it is the iconic nature of the edifice that has given Paris an arresting stardom. Unaffected by fame and fortune, seemingly that is, the city has clutched their ownership of all things culturally acceptable or culturally permitted. And somehow that gave the City of Lights its notoriety. But Paris, the sufferer of middle child syndrome, did secretly want to appear to the world to be greater than, more chic than. Voila! the Eiffel Tower worked its prestigitation. Undeniably it peers at you from every corner of the city. When you come out of the dirty metro, when you pop your head out the tiny top window of your atelier, and even when you wake from sleep in one of the many manicured gardens around the city. It doesn't smile down at the visitors queuing in snake-like formations below. It probably would spit on them if it could. But all the same, visitors come and marvel at the engineering. And Paris loves, oh loves, all the attention. But of course my darling Paris will never admit to that. Let's take a break to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back with more travel from everywhere. 
Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. You've been somewhere. What say we go everywhere? Let's dive right in. I sort of thought that I knew Italy better than any other country because I've been going every year for my whole life. Well, turns out I know nothing. Puglia, in the heel of Italy, is undiscovered and still feels untouristy and gorgeously unkept. The warm Adriatic Sea, the endless amounts of olive trees, and then these white masseria buildings, which are old farmhouses dotted around the landscape. Well, I'm here at Borgo Ignacia, a beautiful resort with the owners, Maritza Melpignano, and her son, Aldo. They know the area, they've been coming here for decades. And now they've put it on the world map, combining a little bit of Italian goodness and wellness. Okay, so as I was saying to you, for me what's interesting is that everyone has a reference point for Italy. You say the word Italy and people think, Maybe it's a car, maybe it's the food, maybe it's the countryside, maybe it's the way of life, the dolce vita, anything like that. Okay. But to me, I think when you come to Puglia, you have to change your perception of Italy because it's so different and there's something so authentically special about Puglia. Puglia doesn't feel to me as it's made for tourists. Big parts of Italy is created for tourists. Puglia feels to me as it's created for Italians, for Pugliese, Pugliese, Pugliese. Pugliese. Like it feels like it's for people who are from here and understand here and their friends and their friends' friends. Ci sono tutte le cattedrali romaniche, il barocco, ci sono le città che hanno una storia eh, importante, solo che il turismo eh, per un certo periodo si, eh, si fermava fino a, Na fino a Napoli oppure a qualche paese della Sicilia. Mm. E noi siamo fortunati perché non, non avendo avuto questo turismo sviluppato tantissimo, adesso che c'è questa scoperta sembra una novità. Capito? <laughs> yes, perché abbiamo sempre ricchi. Like this, because we have beautiful towns, uh, wonderful cathedrals, uh, a Romanic style, Baroque style. But uh, uh, 
Puglia is becoming more and more popular just in the last years. And so we are lucky because it seems like something new, but actually it's, a, it's our heritage. Perché è una scoperta, però qui abbiamo una città di grossa cultura. We, we have a huge culture. And in the past, the tourists used to stop like in Rome or Naples or some parts of Sicily. But now you can discover Puglia as well. And you can discover something that actually we always have had. It's a part of our DNA. But for people coming from abroad, it's something new. So we are, we are lucky because we have these treasures that can be shared now. Why is Puglia so special to you? It's such a spiritual atmosphere for me. Why? How is it spiritual for you? Come spiritual? In what sense? Spiritual. La mente, come si dice? The mind. The mind. It's relax when you live in this place. I don't know what is not possible to spiegare con le parole. It's not easy to explain, but you are surrounded by millennial olive trees. Some of these trees are like 3,000 years old. When so. people arrive with me uh, in Masseria, just when I arrive, uh, comprende, uh, vive lo spirito, lo capisce. Only when it's you arrive, to yeah, it's something that you can't easily explain. But only when you arrive here, you can feel the energy of the place and it's... Uh, thanks to these uh, kind of trees, which are huge and very, very old. So you can feel that you are in a very special place. The people sleep very well. <laughs> Normally, my, my, my guest, I don't speak very well. My he, here, I speak very well. Uh, uh, this is important. When it is, uh, after one hears the, the job, it's uh, stronger, uh, necessary to relax the body and the sound. Body and, body and mind can be very relaxed here. I feel that. You I feel, feel that? I sleep so beautifully here. That's why I came twice to come sleep again. Yes. Tell me a story about some experience that you think of all the time about Puglia, about your life in Puglia, like a, something that you think about. My, my life is very, very happy. Why I have the grandmother, grandfather in Ostuni. I go to Vendemia. Vendemia is when you harvest grapes to make the olive. When it's young, when it's young, I was enjoying the wine. She used to have a lot of fun when it was the time of grape harvesting <laughs> because she used to press the grapes with, with, with the feet, you know. Mia, l'altro nonno aveva una campagna, c'erano tutte le donne che mh, facevano i pomodori appesi, andavo lì con loro, mi, salta, cioè, mi divertivo tanto. She used to have a lot of fun uh, with the grandfather in the countryside and with all the ladies that were working in the countryside with tomatoes uh, to make the tomato sauce, the small uh, pomodorini, Era the small Una tomatoes. bambina molto felice. She was very, very happy, a happy, uh. very happy childhood. Perché ho vissuto anche la, la, la campagna, no? Mm. Because countryside was part of her childhood. <laughs> Tell me some Puglian wisdom. Qualche saggezza pugliese. Qualche mm. pillola pugliese. I pugliesi dicono prima fai e poi dici. Prima fai, avo dici. No, prima fai, poi dici. E poi racconti. Prima fai, poi dici. Yes. Sì. You have cioè, no, no. to do something and after that you can speak about it. Oh. Otherwise it's just speaking. Just Perché molti dicono, dicono le cose e non le fanno, no? Because a lot of people used to just to talk and talk and mm. talk without mm. doing nothing. That's the best wisdom <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard in a long time. Sì. Questa è la saggezza della Pugliese, non è uno che si vanta delle cose che fa, ce le fa e poi le cose dimostrano quello che sei, no? You have to do something and then you can show what you are just uh, through what you are doing, not just through words. Cioè il Pugliese è uno, una persona seria. It's a and concrete soul. Mm -mm. <laughs> On that note, thank you so much. Uh, you're è vero. So here's Marisa's son, Aldo, who also trying to articulate just what sets 
Puglia apart from the rest of Italy? I like to uh, think about Puglia uh, a little bit of, you know, how you see Italy in the old movies and you know, that kind of feel, that kind of vibe. And, and that, that's what you have here. And it's, it's kind of still there and still very authentic. And, you know, some of that you have, you have lost in other, in other parts of Italy. Um, Explain that to me a little bit more. It's just the the energy of of, of this land is it's kind of ancient, and uh, you you feel it, you know, when you walk around the fields and you look at the trees and you meet the people, uh, and you just walk around the towns, you know, you, you you feel some connection with you know with with what was before. I, I don't know how to explain it, and and I think people are you know, people perceive that, and also because tourism has only really developed. In Puglia, in the last 20 years, most places are not spoiled yet, and people actually live here. So in, in a lot of places that are more sort of common for international travelers to go, you kind of don't really have the local community anymore. While here, if you go to any of the local towns in, you know, summertime, but even it's the wintertime, you know, there's people there, you know, they live there, you're sharing the same space with, with the local community. In many other places in Italy now, you go to a town and you know maybe there's there's a market, but you, you know it's just there for the for the tourists. So that's hasn't happened here, and hopefully will never happen. Perfecto. This is a great moment for us to travel once again to advertising land. We'll be right back with more everywhere. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Welcome once again to Everywhere. Let's hop back to it. For my next interview, I'm spending some time with my new friends, Annie Reese and Lauren Vogelbaum, the hosts of Savor, an iHeartRadio podcast that digs into how people live, how they eat, and most importantly, why. Annie and Lauren explore the science, the history, and the culture of food and drink. Thank you for having me on your show, and thank you for coming on my show. <laughs> yeah, this is fabulous. I'm so glad that we finally all managed to uh, be in the same uh, virtual room at the same time. Yes. I feel like I'm in the room with the two of you. Aw, uh, heck yeah. It's working. Oh, heck Technology yeah. is working. <laughs> okay, uh, I suppose for the generalized record, the, the first thing that I like to ask people is, uh, hi, who are you? Well, hi, I'm Daniel Scheffler, and I have this travel podcast called Everywhere. And it feels to me as if it's a 
conglomeration of my life's work, my life's ambitions, my life's feelings and emotions and processes. And it feels like it's a collection of travel, wisdom that was given to me to pass on, challenges that was given to me, and then stories of 35 years. So I've managed to put this into a podcast, which has been the greatest joy of my life. Ah. So that's the work me. And the personal me, which I think these two things, I guess, intermesh at this point. And the personal me is, you know, husband to the most wonderful patient, keyword patient, (laughs) together human that I've ever met, Michael. And father to a little dog who's from Puerto Rico, a (laughs) beach dog, Ella, who you both know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... I was born in South Africa. I'd like to say I was born in Africa, bred in Europe, and now choose to live in America. So I'm, I guess, a person of the world. Yeah. And you have made a career out of traveling. Like, how how did you get into that? What was the line between I love doing this and I am going to make this whole planet my mobile office? Well, I should have asked the two of you, who are you, too? So can we please, because you coming on my show, too, like my (laughs) listeners need to know who you are. Excuse me. Um, I'm I'm not used to having this turned back around on me. I know, so excited (laughs) to do it. Oh, gosh. Well, I am Annie, Annie Reese, and I am part of the co-hosting team of Savor, which is a podcast about food and drink. So this is very exciting. It's a good fit. And you, Daniel, are a friend of ours, so... Very happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, hi, I'm I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. I'm yes, the other half of that Saver team. Um, we have a focus on on food and drink, the science and culture and history of everything that is ingestible and some things that are not, like edible gold. But uh, well, it's ingestible. It's just not nutritious. You poop it right out. You just poop. It, you just poop it right out. You and just, you pay so much for yeah. it. I know. <laughs> It doesn't even expensive taste like poop. anything. Such expensive poop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and we we started the podcast Saver when okay we we had been in Austin yeah. for South by Southwest, mm-hmm. and I witnessed Annie like she had this map of all of these restaurants that we needed to go to or that she needed to go to, and that she dragged a lot of us along <laughs> to as well. And like she knew what to order there, and she had made reservations for barbecue there, like three months in advance, Mm -hmm. and all of this other stuff. And I was like, oh, man, this lady needs a food podcast. (laughs) Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so to answer your question, um, I worked as a management consultant after studying kind of businessy degrees, and I struggled for a long time to really find what I wanted to do and sort of burnt out in a management consulting career. And I watched Eat, Pray, Love. And it was really that corny moment where I saw Julia Roberts talk about how she felt her life used to have meaning and now it had none. And I was on a plane to India in a week. (laughs) (laughs) And I sort of just went to India to clean yoga mats and find my humility because I was just a spoiled white rich boy from Africa who had privilege and I needed to get rid of a lot of that. I needed to go and just find myself in that kind of corny, obvious way. But I needed to go and understand how I could give back, how I could find humanity. And it helped that I was, you know, waking up at four in the morning, cleaning bathrooms for curry eating ashram goers Mm -hmm. and washing the mats of sweaty Australian backpackers. And at some point I was standing in the Ganga after my teacher told me to kind of leave all my bullshit and stand in the Mother Ganga until I've let that go. And I stood in this water for a very, very long time. I cried, I laughed, and I just stayed until I had fully washed my persona. I say fully, but as much Mm. as I possibly could. Like I washed a persona away And I was able to kind of really just step out of that water and be like, great, I want to be different. I want to make a contribution to this world. I want to feel alive in a way that I hadn't been. And that set me on a course because what I wanted to do is write. And um, I had an English teacher at school 
who really believed in me. And she sort of saw me and she was like, you have talent, you should do something with this. And she was the first person in my life that really saw me besides for my mother. And it set me on this course to New York. I sort of packed my bags and moved to New York with nothing. And I knew no one and I had nothing. <laughs> my parents cut me off and I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was willing to tell stories and write and travel. And the New York Times found me and Condé Nast Traveler found me. And it sort of snowballed from there. And here I am today. Oh, that's amazing. I um, I mean, I guess I, I like moved to Atlanta from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, you got into travel. Did you sort of have a similar experience somewhere along the line when you started traveling where you were just like, oh, this is me changing. This is like a paradigm shift. Yeah, absolutely. I um, No one in my family likes to travel. <laughs> they have no desire to see anything outside of the United States. And when I was younger, that never made sense to me. So when I was nine, because I was a weird nine-year-old, I wrote a, <laughs> like, before I die, here's what I want to do. And it was almost all visit this place, visit this place, visit this place. And um, when I was in college, for my major, I had to travel to a different country every summer and get a job there and work there. Oh, wow. And so the first place I went was Australia, and I was working with the indigenous people in Australia. And I just felt this opportunity of such growth because you're, if you travel at least by yourself, then there are no expectations of how you should behave because no one knows you there. Hmm. And it's really freeing and really liberating. And that was something that I really needed when I was a college student, like a chance to see okay, if you put me on my own, hmm. what can I get up to? What can I do? Who will hmm. I become? And I fell in love with it, and I got the the travel bug, as they <laughs> say, from there. And I just wanted to travel all the time, every chance I possibly got. That's I, I feel like I've never gotten that bug. Like, I, travel makes me so anxious because mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, uh, I can't control it. I want to know what's going to happen. And of course, that's like literally not the point. That's, that's the opposite of what the point right. of doing that is. I mean, and to be fair, like coffee makes me anxious. Like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not a, it's not a short punt, but it, it's, I'm getting more into it like slowly and I'm making this like cautious hand gesture. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're dipping your toe in the water and it's a little cold, but you're getting mm -hmm. used to it. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, because of course, like different places are so beautiful. And I mean, for my purposes, I, I my father was a professional chef and a lot of the women in my family cooked at home and getting to try what is home cooking for different people in different cultures is just one of the most amazing experiences of, of just that kind of shared humanity. That's beautiful. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> um, you've got these travel commandments. Right. Since over over on our end, this is a food-focused show. It is. Um, <laughs> hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> some days it's more uh, Mary-Kate and Ashley-focused. Right. That's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Are, are any of your commandments specifically about food, about eating and drinking when you're traveling? Well, you know, I think they all are about mm -hmm. food and sharing a beverage because there's, um, or sharing a meal, because there's a way that you find almost a neutral space or you find a place of common interest when it comes to a beverage or when it comes to something to eat. And it's such a beautiful way to experience the world. So when I say thou shall ignore thy smartphone. Hmm. It's because I don't want you to photograph your food. I want you to share it and talk about it and feel it and think about it. And when I interview a chef like Mark Olive, who's Aboriginal and from Australia, it's about talking about indigenous ingredients and about all these incredible proteins that someone like Paul Iskoff, another chef in Australia, has found and how they are bringing back this tradition that stems to the beginning of humanity. And then when I say things like keep holy the high and low, it's like, yes, there's a place to eat at the Michelin star restaurant, of course, but there's also a place to eating on the street. And those two things can exist in the same way. So for me, the thing that I try and talk about travel is 
You don't have to stay at the best hotel or eat at the Michelin restaurant. You can stay wherever you can have an adventure. The trip is about humanity and touching that and how to find that and, and meeting people. And food plays, to me, food and beverage play such a huge role in that. And I think if we take the judgment out of food and we take the expectation out of food, we're able to have a real experience. And the Instagram ability that's fine. Instagram all you want. Hmm. But just remember that it's about nature and about touching what farming and regenerative farming is that's putting that meal in front of you. Those are the things that I think we should be thinking about every time you have a coffee. Are you thinking about where this bean came from and who, which thinker is getting paid fair wage mm -hmm. to do this? Like I have an episode with Counterculture, my favorite coffee brand. They're an independent, oh, they're yet great. Yeah. kind of growing. And I, I introduced you to Emily that day. And in fact, I'm having lunch with Emily after this. Yeah. And actually, that's a trip we should do, Ethiopia. I'm going to Ethiopia with them. We'll talk about that. Yeah. There's some injera in your future. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> but that's the thing that I think... Michael, my husband, talks about this a lot and his business, Organic Farmer, is focused on this. Hmm. He's focused on exactly that, like returning to knowing where your food is coming from and understanding that regenerative farming is what's going to save the world. It's going to save the planet. We, do, we need subsidies for organic farming. We need lobbyists to go and bring organic farming to a much bigger stage in this country. But travel forms part of that because you have to go to the middle of this country to go and see what farming is today. And then when you are shocked to see what's <laughs> happening in Kansas, then you should go back to your plate and you should think about, shit, what am I eating when I'm buying this sandwich mm -hmm. at the airport? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, don't you think it's important that kids at school should understand where the carrot is coming from? That oh, it's gosh. not coming from Trader Joe's or yeah. from... Safeway or whatever, Kroger's, it's coming from the earth and what it takes to be able to create a carrot like that. How many days does it have to be under the soil right. in order for it to grow? How many days does it have to be kept in cold storage? And who's doing that? Who's right. the worker that's doing that at an unfair wage? Those are the things that we should be addressing. It should be prestigious to be a farmer. It should be the greatest honor in this country, the same way that we honor, I don't know, the military. We should be honoring farmers because they are the bones of what's making this country great. Yeah. And um, and they are also putting themselves at risk every day. I mean, it's, it's hard work. It is laborious work. It is dangerous equipment. It's frequently dangerous pesticides and herbicides that right. are in not only in your literal hands when you're working in the field, but also if you live nearby, they're probably in your groundwater. Right. But they don't get hazard pay. Right. They probably don't get full wage. Hoof. Well, I don't want to preach. Like, that's the other thing. Like, to me, it feels like there are times where, like, I talk about this stuff and I feel like I'm standing on a soapbox preaching. And it really isn't that. It's not, I don't mean to preach. I mean to just inspire and to be like, you know, do you know that almost all farmers in this country have a side hustle because they cannot make a living from farming alone. I just think that that's something we should think about. Oh, sure. I mean, also, you know, like if you can't afford to buy whatever level of organic or uh, et cetera type of product, like there's no shame in that either. Like do what you can. Of course but, not. You know, just be, be, be aware and try to make other people who have the financial means. <laughs> aware as well. Well, it has to trickle down. Like it has to start from the top. Uh -huh. I don't believe in trickle down economics, but I do <laughs> believe in trickle down organic. Like it starts at the top and, and people with money are able to support that. And eventually there's a government sort of an assistance and that filters down to the next level and the next level. Um, because no one needs M&Ms and chips for lunch. No one needs fake cheese <laughs> as a meal for your children in the school. And it's not about government overreach. It's about government support. And that's what I believe in. Absolutely. Sorry. Oh, long no. answer to your question. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We love long answers. Yeah, all the time. I, I want to ask both of you, um, on your travels, are there common threads that you've seen to how people approach food and drink? And also on the flip side, are there 
on common threads? Are, are there things that you've observed that are just not part of Western culture that have really stood out to you? Hmm. Um, I'll say something that I've noticed that I didn't realize I took so much for granted in the United States is water. Mm. Availability of clean water. Because I drink, Lauren knows, I drink <laughs> a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Annie is Me very too. well hydrated. I am, I am. And being in other countries where they don't just put it on the table for you, like, and mm-hmm. having all of these where you've got to boil it and you've got to do something else with it, that was something I hadn't realized that I took so mm. for granted. Or like showers that turn off after 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Things like that. And then I seemed to notice in most places I visited a more relaxed atmosphere when it came to eating. Like mm-hmm. a more, we're going to enjoy this meal, enjoy it together. And I would have to tell myself, just just calm down. It's okay. It's going to take longer than you're used to. It's Okay. <laughs> Things like that and like smaller things too, like more let's have let's just have some tea and talk for a minute or just coming together over some type of food. A little ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a funny story. Do you remember when Obama was buying um I don't know, I think it was a muffin or some baked good and he reached over the sneeze guard. Oh yeah. And it was the horror of <laughs> the week, you know. Yeah. And when I was in Europe this summer with my husband, we were in Italy and I was like touching things and looking at things. And Michael was like horrified. He was like, <laughs> I forget how you get in Europe. You are so touchy and feely with the fruits and the vegetables. And you just like, you forget all safety, um, health and safety code. And I was like, well, the Europeans seem fine to me. And I think that we're too sanitized in America when it comes to these things, you know? So that is something I see all the time where I'm like, I'm in Vietnam and sitting on the street, there is a man with a giant pot bigger than a scooter and he's stirring this pot. And basically anything could fall into that pot. Uh There's space for, you know, a small army to get in. (laughs) And he's making like this beautiful stir. And I'm not asking what's in there. I don't care. The line is around the block. Mm. People are ganging up for this thing and he sells out before the sun goes down. Wow. Of course I'm going to eat that. Health and safety out the window. (laughs) And perhaps that's, you know, it's not the safest thing to do. But in some (laughs) ways I'm like, I'm going to live and do that. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I went to Europe and I saw that they had the eggs. They weren't refrigerated. Mm -hmm. And I was so shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Could you put your eggs in the fridge, please? (laughs) Yeah, I I was like, do do they know it's not in the refrigerated section? (laughs) Of course they did. Um, And something else I I love, and I think this is true of pretty much anywhere, but people are so eager to share their food with you. Oh, yeah. And the stories of it and, like, how their family has made it. And then they want to hear about your food stories, too. So I think that is something that's really beautiful when you travel. Food gives you an opening for sharing and an opening to be kind. Oh, yeah. Um, the weight of my heart is absolutely through my stomach. If you if you want to get on my good side. I know side, that about you. <laughs> <laughs> like, first thing, just, just be like, here, like, have a bite of this. And uh, I, I hope it's not annoying when, when we're all on trips together. Uh, we all, you know, we'll, we'll be at dinner and I'll be eating something and I'll take a few bites and I'll be like, you guys, all you have to try this. You have to try this. And I'm going to tell you how to compose the bite. And I'm going to. <laughs> oh, I enjoy it. I appreciate it. Tell you what order to do it in. And like everyone has to have some. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's, it's just such a wonderful, like, it's such a visceral experience. And and uh, I, I think there's are so few situations where um you can share a visceral experience with someone who you're not like like bodily intimate with. And yeah, right. food is one of them. I think that that everyone has had experiences on the road of um like not knowing how to find something that's local and that's good or um or you know just settling for like mediocre hotel food because you're tired and you just don't have it in you. Do either of you have any suggestions, like like advice for listeners about how to avoid that sad hotel burger? Oh boy, I'm <laughs> never having a sad hotel burger. 
<laughs> I think I'd rather starve. No, I probably have a snack with me. I don't need to have a sad hotel burger. <laughs> <laughs> so bring snacks. <laughs> um, I have this thing where when I travel, I type in the words pour over and then I enter the city that I'm going to. And it's been very useful to me because if they're serving a pour over or a Chemex, the chances are that they actually give a shit about the way that they're preparing their coffee or where they're getting their beans from. And that usually leads me to like a way into a city and a way into a community and a sort of set of people. And associated with pour over coffee is usually food that is related. So if I go to um, Costa Rica, I'll put in like San Jose pour over coffee and I'll find some cute coffee shop and I'd go there. And that person, I could be like, where would you eat? And they would tell you. And that's worked for me in Montevideo. It's worked for me in Nairobi. And it's kind of this little thing. Coffee is like a way to get into this world. That's actually the second time we've heard that about coffee. I find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, one of our interviewees in, in Asheville, North Carolina, was talking about how coffee, like good coffee, is sort of the entrance. Like if you can convince people to give a shit about coffee, then you can convince them that other food should be good. Yeah. I agree. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for jumping on the line with us. Ladies, I bid you farewell. I adore you and I will hopefully see you very soon. Excellent. Yes. yes. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. We're in the midst of planning our trip to Ethiopia. And if you want to hear more from Annie and Lauren, you should listen and subscribe to Savor, which is available anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, thank you for making this trip with me. As always, I've had a blast. If you'd like to reach out, connect with us on Instagram at Everywhere Podcast. A big shout out to my executive producers, Christopher Hasiotis and the loveliest Holly Fry, my lead producer and editor who I couldn't do anything without, Chandler Mays, and my co-editor and composer of the beautiful Everywhere Score, Tristan McNeil. I'm your host, Daniel Scheffler, and don't forget, good boys go to heaven, bad boys go everywhere. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.